Welcome to another message from Columbus First Assembly. Thanks for listening as we strive to learn and live the word and ways of God. Our hope is that you're encouraged by today's message. Good morning. Wow, yeah, you can hear me well. Good morning, church family again. I'm Pastor Rick. My wife, Sherry, and Pastor Evan, he uh, did communion, so it is good to see you all. As we get ready to get into God's Word, I want to say one thing, and that is to thank all of those who took part in sharing over the past four Sundays. Um, I've taken the month of June off now for the past two years, not that I'm not here or in the office but I'm not necessarily preaching, and that gives me an opportunity to refresh, but it gives you an opportunity to hear some others. I thought Pastor uh, Evan kind of killed it last week. What do you think? Yeah, I thought he did a great job, and Pastor Tim the week before, and then Pastor Evan, and then um, uh, Reverend uh, Koblenz, and so it was a good, good month. Oh... You can get a Bible and turn to Luke 15 if you would like this morning. While the text will be on the screen a little bit later, I am not going to actually have all of the text on the screen. I want you to see it in your own Bibles, so I would encourage you to get your devices out. Tonight, tonight, oh my goodness, I am really off. This morning, I'm speaking about prodigals, and I've entitled the message, Prodigals Come Home. This is partially taken from that song we've been singing the past several weeks in the Father's house where there's a line that we're declaring, prodigals come home when the father's in the room. Now, let me explain the word prodigal because if you are someone who understands the English language, you will know that a prodigal is nothing more than a wasteful person. The prodigal son, which we are going to read the text here in just a moment, he was wasteful. He was reckless. That's what the word prodigal means. But that's not what the word prodigal means in the church context. Because for the past number of decades, maybe longer than that, I can only speak from when I've been a part of the church. Luke 15, this story, the story of the son, has been called the prodigal son. Now, technically, that means he was a wasteful son, but that's not how you see a prodigal. That's not how I see a prodigal. We see a prodigal as someone who is away from God, who was raised in the church, who had a relationship with God, or who at least knew the truth and is now away from God. That's how we see prodigals. And so this morning, I just want to let you know, especially if you're an English teacher, and um, Denise Howell, if you're watching this morning, I know you taught English for decades, you probably know the difference in prodigal. Well, I'm using the church context this morning, and anybody in here or at home who knows what prodigal means, but we're going to talk about it in the church context. In fact, here's the definition that I'm using for a prodigal this morning. A prodigal knows the truth and has chosen to turn from that truth. And notice that I use the word has chosen to turn from that truth. They have chosen to leave the father's house and the family or the father's family or the family of God. A prodigal knows the truth and has chosen to turn from the truth. They have chosen to leave the father's house and family. Now, show of hands this morning. How many of you know a prodigal? Lift your hands. How many of you are praying for a prodigal? Son, daughter, grandson, granddaughter, brother, sister, mom, dad. It could be 
one of many, someone who knew the truth, but they have now chosen to turn from it. This has been stirring in my heart now for several weeks. Um, ever since we started singing that song, Prodigals Come Home, I felt the Holy Spirit. There was something about that line that was almost speaking prophetically. That this is, a, this is the call of God on our church, a place where prodigals are going to come home. Now, they may be prodigals from our own families, but some of the prodigals I'm playing, praying for are probably not going to end up here at Columbus First Assembly because I have family members. I have, I have uh, nieces and nephews uh, and others in the family that I am praying for that don't live here, but they're still going to come home. I want them to come home, but there's going to be prodigals coming here, maybe not even part of this family. Maybe they grew up on the East Coast or the West Coast or the Deep South. Maybe they grew up in a 55-gallon drum, because that's just what I sounded like. <laughs> but God's going to be calling them here. Now, here's a question I have for you. How are we as a church? Now, just hear this. I'm going to repeat it later, I think, unless I get way off on a tangent. What are we as a church going to do when the prodigals come in the door? Are they going to be welcomed? Are they going to be received? Are they going to be loved? Are they going to be greeted more than just at the door saying, oh, hi, nice to have you? Is somebody going to reach out? If we're believing that the Holy Spirit is saying prodigals are coming home, what are we as the congregation going to do to embrace, to welcome, and to connect with the prodigals? So my heart began to stir with the song, Prodigals Come Home, when the father's in the room. But then something else happened. Back in May, we had some prayer here. I, I pray with pastors on a monthly basis, local pastors. One of the local pastors is an acquaintance of mine from Hope. His name is Dennis. And we were praying here in the sanctuary before the National Day of Prayer, which was back in May. And, and Dennis felt the Holy Spirit and began to speak. I'll call it a word of prophecy over this church. I'll talk more about that next week. This is a two-part. I can't get to everything this week. He started to speak over this church. And one of the lines that came out of his mouth was, this is a place where the prodigals are coming. I thought, whoa. Because I, in fact, said something after. I said, you know, there's that song that's been in my heart, Prodigals Come Home. And so he said that. And then something else happened, and this was very odd. This year, I'm just, I'm just setting everything up. This is my introduction. You're thinking, wow, this is a long introduction. Yeah, it is. It's going to be a long message. That's why it's in two parts. District Council this year took place up in Indianapolis, and for a variety of reasons, I did not go to this year's District Council. I virtually every year go to District Council, but this year I didn't. And it took a while for the district office to actually post the services. Usually, like our services, we get them posted online almost immediately after they're, they're taking place. But it took weeks for the district office to get the services posted. Must have been a technical problem. I got an email from the district, and it said, district council services are available. So I clicked on to watch a service that took place. 
And the pastor who took place, or the pastor who was speaking, uh, Scott Wilson, this wasn't his message, but he had a portion of his message where he talked about prodigals. And I just could really sense that this is what the Holy Spirit was speaking to this church. So we'll get to that in just a moment. Right now, let's get to God's word. And you're saying, boy, you are all over the place today, Pastor Rick. We'll get used to it. I think that's what this message is going to be like. Luke chapter 15. We're going to actually be reading from chapter or from verse 11 on, but I am going to read two verses, verses 1 and 2. Sorry, I moved the mic and messed you up up there. Because this sets the context. Jesus tells three parables here in Luke chapter 15. Some of them you're very familiar with. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. We're going to read the first two verses is at the context, and it said this. Tax collectors, I'm reading from the New Living this morning. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Jesus hung around sinners, and the religious people didn't like it. The scribes and the Pharisees found it objectionable. And here's one of the reasons. They felt that the scribes and the, Pharise the, scribes and the Pharisees felt that these sinners wouldn't want to hang around Jesus unless he was one of them. So obviously, because he hung around sinners, there must be something wrong with them. But no, he loved them, and they wanted to hang around. And Jesus, because of what the scribes and the Pharisees were thinking and saying, told three parables about the lost and what God feels about the lost. So there's the lost sheep, the lost coin, and now picking up in verse 11, let's talk about the lost son, or whom we call and have called for decades, the prodigal son. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them a story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed up all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. So what he did is he took whatever he was given, more than likely it was land and it was animals and it was property and it might have been crops. He liquidated it. He sold it all. So he had on him gold and silver, and he left with that money. He took those belongings. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. In fact, one commentator said what he was probably doing, he was probably fighting the pigs for the food, or he was getting into the pig feed and getting at least a little something to eat. And they usually fed the pigs these, these pods that had very little nutritional value, but he was so hungry, he was starving, that he was even willing to do that. Verse 17. I'll refer to this later, but look at verse 17. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself. Hear those words. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. 
and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned to his father. And while he was a long way off, he saw his father. His father saw him coming. And filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Notice that he didn't even get a chance to finish his speech. His father interrupts here. Also, please understand, when the father kissed him. Now, Pastor Evan, I want you to arise, come to the stage here just for a moment, and I'm not going to kiss you. <laughs> okay. Let's pretend that he's the younger son. Maybe he is. Let's pretend he is. Okay. He has been away from home. He's been with pigs. He's traveled back. Doesn't say that he stopped at the local Motel 6 to catch a shower. The guy is filthy. He stinks. Have you ever been around pigs? Some of you? They are very unpleasant smelling creatures, especially when there is a quantity of them. This man, unbathed, probably covered in dust and mud and, and, and pig junk, when the father sees him in that state, in a state of filth, when he sees him, he ignores it all. The father runs to him, embraces him, Kisses him, probably not on the lips, probably on the cheeks. But the father's going to get this junk on his nice clothes. This is a very wealthy man. He's wearing Armani or he's wearing whatever is very popular right now. Probably not Old Navy, but who knows? He could have been wearing Old Navy. But certainly he's wearing a lot nicer than what the son is wearing. But he did not hesitate, didn't say, whoa, what's that smell? He's right there grabs him, embraces him, kisses him, interrupts his speech. You can sit down now. No more kissing for you. <laughs> Verse 21, his son said to him, you, he started to say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Wait a minute, the finest robe, he's filthy. Father didn't say, get him in the... Get him in the, the stream. Get him washed. Just put this robe on him. Why? Because the robe said family. The robe indicated he's been accepted. Put the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Now, meanwhile, the older son was off in the fields working, and when he returned home, he heard the music and the dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what was going on? Your brother's back, he was told, and your father has killed the fatted calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. And the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in, and the father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all the time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when the son of yours comes back after squandering money, your money, on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing 
the fatted calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and now he is found. I want you to notice one thing that the older brother said because I think it's really telling. The older brother knew what the younger brother was doing, which means the younger brother, while he was gone, was not so far away that people didn't know what was going on. Did you know that the father also would have known what the younger son was doing? Which means that the father could have gone and gotten him, could have gone and begged him. When that famine hit, the father could have gone, but it wasn't until the son came back. We'll talk more about that next week. But I really believe that the father knew exactly where this son was. Just like the older brother knew what was going on. He knew what he was doing. I'm sure it broke his heart. A prodigal. Let me give you that definition once again. A prodigal. Knows the truth and has chosen to turn from that truth. They have chosen to leave the father's house and the family. I spoke to Pastor Scott Wilson who was the district council speaker about two months ago. I've seen this video a dozen times, at least. And it moves me almost every time. I'm going to take some time now, and I want you to hear a story that he told to the district that I only heard about three weeks ago, but it just helped me to realize that our father is saying, prodigals, going to come home here. Would you give attention to the screens? All right. This isn't in my note. This isn't, I'm going to tell you something right now. This is something the Lord's prompted me to tell you right now. Uh, you know how you just had the word about sons and daughters coming back that are prodigals? How many of you in here right now, you, have, you raised your hand for people to pray for you because you've got a son, daughter, grandchild, something like that you're praying to come back to Jesus. Let me see your hand. I'm going to talk to you for a second. My dad, I look at it now as he was stacking wood. Because there was a moment where I surrendered myself and I told God at 17, I'm in, I'll do whatever you want. And I was kind of halfway in, halfway out. And he said, I want to know if you're all the way in. I said, I'm all the way in. And when the fire hit in my life, guess what? There was wood already stacked. And there was content for it to keep going. So what I'm telling you is the Sundays you had them in church, the Sundays you had them in youth, this Wednesday night you had them in youth, it was not for nothing. You did not labor in vain. It is stacked wood and God's going to bring the fire and it was not for nothing. Now let me tell you. Six years ago, my youngest son, Dakota, came to me and walked into my room and he said, I need to talk to you because I'm about to graduate high school and I need you to know where I'm at. My 17-year-old comes in and he says, Mom and Dad, I love you. I'm not against you. You haven't done anything wrong. This is nothing personal, but I don't believe in God. And I feel responsible to not only uh, have that as personal, but everybody kind of lumps me in with y'all and your beliefs. And so I think it's pretty important on social media that I would let everyone know where I stand because that's important to me. So he began to go on social media and just share his thoughts and his opinions and his different views. 
hurting my heart. Let me tell you something. You're talking about every single night for the next probably four weeks, I was every night, every morning, all day going, okay, God, what are you talking about? I've done missionary kids retreats, PK retreats. I mean, like what everything I do is not just about youth ministry and doing this, but my whole life has been about PKs and MKs and my own son's gonna go to hell? It can't be, I can't handle it. I cannot function, I can't think, I can't preach, I can't live, I can't, I can't do it, I just can't move on. And I started talking to God and I said, God, you gotta tell me, you are the God who knows the end from the beginning. And so you gotta help me here in the middle. If you'll tell me how it ends, if you'll just tell me he's going to heaven, I can make it in the middle with all of his drugs. I can make it in the middle with all the perversion. Because right now I know I love that kid so much that if you don't tell me he's going to heaven in the end, I'm gonna be screwing things up all in the middle. You know how many times mom and dad, you screw things up because you're calling them saying, are you still doing the drugs? You smoking today? You understand you're never gonna hold down a job? You're gonna go to prison. You ain't gonna have no wife. They're gonna leave you, you're gonna get divorced. And you talk things out of your fear that's really distancing them not only from you, but from the Lord. Wow, I just began to pray. And as I prayed and sought the Lord, I said, God, you just tell me, listen, four weeks, four weeks in, one morning, God told me this, what he told me, be confident. I said, what does that mean? Guess what happened? Two verses, my dad had me memorized, came up. Be confident in this, that what I began in Dakota, I will carry on to completion to the day of Christ Jesus. Then 1 John 5, John, are you listening to me? Come on, you've been there. You've seen Dakota, you know Dakota. 1 John 5, 14 saying, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, will he not give to us what we ask for? And the Lord told me, walk in confidence. And so I went and told my wife, I said, Jenny, God told me this morning, Dakota's going to heaven. We don't have to worry about it. We know the end so we can make it in the middle. She said, how do you know? I said, God just spoke to me. I'm telling you right now, he told me to be confident. And let me tell you something. For six years, I've been walking that. I'm talking six years, right now, right now. I don't have resolve, but it is resolved. Come on, is anybody in here understand what I'm talking about? He's told me where it ends and I don't have resolve until just six weeks ago on Easter Sunday. I was driving to church on Saturday and God put in my heart to call Dakota, tell him that my friend's church is five minutes from him where he lives about an hour away and tell him he may wanna go cause they got a night service this time and I know you don't get up early. He said, well, maybe I'll go. I said, well, if you go, go tell him. I said, hi, an hour and a half later, he texted me and said, I'm here. Should I say hi to Pastor Toby? I said, absolutely. You know what? This is a church of 5,000 people when he went up there, told the security guard, my dad's got one of you too, so don't tackle me. Just tell him I, I need to talk to him. <laughs> Isn't that funny that he said that? My dad's got one of you too. <laughs> Pastor Toby came over. Listen to me. Listen to me, pastors. Listen to me, people of God. And Toby walked over and said, you're Scott Wilson's boy. Come here, son. My, my son has long, long hair, like down like this, okay? He smells like weed. 
Every bit of clothing he has is weed. You know that guy that's coming into your church three weeks ago with the long hippie hair and the jacked out clothes and it smells like weed and you smell marijuana coming all over the place and you're going, oh my God, that's my son. That, that is my son I have been pouring my guts out praying for. And Toby put his arms around him and says, come backstage and brought him backstage as if he was the greatest man of God here, like he's Billy Graham. He brings him backstage and introduces him to every staff and says, this guy right here, this guy's got greatness on. I know his dad. His daddy's told me all about it. This guy's awesome. He needs to be on our worship team. <laughs> so he calls me the next day. Says, I went, said, said hi to Toby, but I'm feeling sick. I can't come over for Easter dinner. I said, okay, it's all right. I'm going to go to uh, Lufkin tomorrow. I got meetings. We'll just talk when you get back. I'd love to hear what's going on. Okay, Dad, okay, Dad. Tuesday, I come home. He's waiting in my house. And he, he's already called me the day before. And Mom, he'd come home because he had to go to the doctor because he's thinking he's having panic attacks. Because guess what he said? He went back home from being at church with Toby and that the Lord spoke. He said two things I've been asking. I don't believe in God because of this and this. He spoke on in that service. And so I went back to my house by myself and I sat there and I said, I've never felt you before. But if you're real, let me feel you like my mom and my dad. And he said, Dad, I started crying so hard I couldn't stop crying. He said, I cried for three days. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. All I did is cry. So he said, I got, I got weird things. So he said, I got to go to the doctor. He went to the doctor, but on Tuesdays in the back. And this is where I sat. Scott, I sat on the back. You know you've been praying with me on this. We're sitting on the back porch. He's bawling, crying. He can't stop. I'm not talking this. I'm talking about heaving. And I said, let me tell you something, son, right now. God says he loves you. He says, why? He says he loves you while you were yet a sinner. In Christ, I, every verse my dad was teaching me was coming out of my heart to my son. Come on, I'm talking about generations. I'm talking about stacking wood. I'm talking about it ain't for nothing. And as I'm sitting there and I'm saying, God says, I want you to know. He says you're in his family. I want you to say it out loud right now. He says, what do you want me to say? I said, I want you to say, I know. I know. He's trying. I said, say it again. I know. I know. I fit in God's family. I know I fit in this family. I am loved. I am valued. I am gifted. I am powerful. I am saved. I am righteous. Oh, man. Then we started binding the devil and rebuke said, I bind the lie of the enemy that I'm bound up in sin and can never be set free. I rebuke the lies of the enemy that I'm a drug addict and will never change. I rebuke the lie of the enemy that I'll never be any good or be good enough. Come on. He just began to cry and cry and cry until four hours later he goes, you want to get something to eat? Come on. 
He hadn't been to church in six years, and we're driving up on Sunday. He gets up early, is already dressed downstairs. This is the boy that a week before was going to bed at 4.30 in the morning, getting up in the afternoon at 4.30. He was up 7.30. Let's go. We're driving in the car, and I said, uh-oh, had an idea. I said, son, everybody in this church, young and old, has been praying for you every day for six years, and I can't control the crazies. <laughs> there are going to be some old ladies come tackle you. They're going to kiss on you. There are going to be people all over just so excited that they even see you walk in the building. So I just want you to know, be prepared. Somebody might come up and go, oh, my God, please tell me you're saved. They'll do something like this. And you wait, listen, no, I look at it, listen to this. He looks at me and says, tell him to come tell me. I want to thank him for praying for me. Tell him, put the robe on me, the ring on my finger, sandals on the feet. The prodigal is coming home. Are you kidding me? It's amazing. Can you believe it for your prodigal? Can you begin to believe it for your prodigal? I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking over this congregation. He may be speaking over others, but I pastor this congregation. I believe he is wanting this place to be a place where the prodigals can come home. Quickly, in your notes, I have just two or three notes that I'm going to give you before we move into a time of prayer. First is this. There are two general types of prodigals. This is my opinion, but I've seen it in my years of ministry. There are two general types of prodigals. The first is this. The deep in sin prodigal. The deep in sin prodigal. They are going to live their life their way. Don't tell them how to live. They might say, you want to follow Jesus? Great, but that type of lifestyle is not for me. I'm enjoying my life. I love the parties. I love the sex. I love the substances. I love the people that I hang around with and all the stuff that I do. But they're prodigals because they grew up. Understanding the truth. But at some point, oftentimes in high school, high school to college, young adult, they say, I don't want anything more to do with that stuff. And they go out, and I call it deep in sin. They might not consider themselves deep in sin because that's, you know, that's a, that's a continuum. Somebody might, I would say it was deep in sin here, but they'll look at the person over here who's really deep in sin, and they won't say they're deep in sin. The fact is, they're away from the Father's house. They're leading life their own way. They're living a life of sin. They're enjoying their life. They like living without all the rules that they grew up with, and the son in the story was this type. The son in Scott Wilson's story was this type. But I believe there's a second type of prodigal. And this one is a little different. Again, my opinion, here it is. It's the I'm okay without God or Jesus or with just a little of God or Jesus prodigal. Again, growing up knowing so they've got just enough of God or Jesus, j just a little bit, or they don't even feel that they need God or Jesus, but they're not bad people. You know, they're not 
often to parties. They're not often to immorality. They're not getting uh, super drunk all the time. They're not drug addicts. But they're away from the, the house. They're away from the father's house. They're away from the family. They're good people. So how can they not be right with God? Because they're not living for Jesus. They think to themselves, or maybe they say out loud, you know, I know all this stuff, but really I don't need God. I'm happy with my life just the way it is. Not deep in sin. Or they just hang around church enough. Hang around spiritual things enough. Hang around the Bible enough that their conscience doesn't really bother them. Personally, I believe that this type of person is often harder to reach than the first. The first knows they're away from God and they know they're living a life of sin. The other one, hey, I'm a decent person. Now remember, not every unsaved person is a prodigal. A prodigal is very specific. It's someone who knows. They grew up in church and have gone away. So I'm going to give you this morning just two suggestions. And then next week I'm going to finish this with some additional suggestions. Two suggestions on what we can do to start calling the prodigals home. Number one, in your notes, pray for your prodigal or prodigals. Cry out to God for each of them. Call their names to God. I think you should get specific. I'm sure that Pastor Scott Wilson, I think the boy's name is Dakota. I've seen this 12 times, but I forgot the kid's name. Was, he and his wife were calling out that child's name. Calling out the name of that child to God. If you have a prodigal, don't pray in general. Pray specific. Pray for your prodigal. Cry out to God. Call their names. Specifically to God. And keep on praying. Number two. Like the father, expectantly wait for them to head home. And now I know this is not easy, especially if you've waited a long time. I've been around people who have been praying for a child or a grandchild or a spouse, a brother or a sister, and they've been praying so long they finally almost wanted to give up. And I want to talk to you this morning. One of the reasons I shared that story, I mean, it was six years for him. For some of you, it may be 16 years or 26 years or 36 years. Keep praying, but then wait expectantly. Remember, I said that the father knew what was going on with that younger son. I really believe that, and he waited. It says that the father saw the younger son, the prodigal, a long way off. I think that every time the father walked out of his house, he would glance down the road looking, expecting, wondering, when my boy is coming home. Coming up on the screen is Psalm chapter 5, the first three verses. I've, I've thought of this psalm, I've prayed this psalm, especially verse 3 on more than one occasion. This morning, I just want to share how it's, uh, it impacted me personally, especially in regard to the prodigal. Listen to what it says. This is the New International Version. Listen to my words, Lord. 
Consider my lament. It's not a word we use anymore, but basically what it means, it's a groaning. It's a deep groaning. This man who is praying here is groaning, crying out with deep felt feeling and emotion to God. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my king and my God, for to you I pray. Now listen to verse 3. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my requests before you. Then look at these three words. And wait expectantly. When you're praying for your prodigal, when you're praying for anything, when you're crying out of the deep emotions of your heart, get up from your prayer. Know that God has heard. Know that God loves your child more than you love your child. And look for them. Believe that they will be coming home. You say, I've been believing that for six years or 16 years or 26 years or 36 years. Keep praying. Keep believing. Keep crying. Don't stop. Don't stop. As the team comes to the platform, I want to remind you, pray for your prodigal. Cry out to God for each of them. The reason I use the words cry out is this is what the psalm says. Hear my cry for help, my king and my God. Call their names to God and then expectantly wait. I said this earlier. I just want to let me, let me, before I get there, let me say this. If you have a prodigal, if you raised your hand, if you raised your hand, when Scott Wilson was talking to pastors, and primarily in that room where he was talking were pastors and other church leaders. Since I wasn't in the room, I don't know how many, but I've been around pastors long enough that probably in that room virtually every hand went up. Pastors' families have prodigals just as just as often as other people's families because men and women choose their own way to go. We raise them as best we can. We raise them in the family of God. We raise them knowing the truth. We raise them with the scripture. And sometimes they still choose their own way and they become, again, a prodigal. The prodigals are coming home. I'm going to speak this morning. I'm going to encourage you to speak the name of your prodigal in faith. Call their name. Call them home. Doesn't mean you necessarily are going to contact them. We're talking to God right now. Prodigals, come home. I want you to be encouraged this morning for those of you who have prayed for a long time. Now, going back to something I said earlier. Church, church, everybody, listen to me. What are we going to do when God fulfills what I believe God desires for this congregation. What are we going to do? No, let's back this up. Stop. I'm going to pick on the drummer. I don't pick on the drummer very much. I pick on Logan, or I pick on Evan. And I Hopefully there's enough light here that we all feel good together. What are you going to do? What? And I don't, don't answer. I just want to single you out. What are you going to do? What are you going to do from when the prodigal that some mom and dad have been praying for in Maine 
shows up in Columbus, Indiana, for whatever reason, has been in the community, finally gets to the point that they've reached the bottom, and they come to their senses, and for whatever reason, they drive down 10th Street, they see our sign, they come online, check out a service, and by the way, your wife who directs, she does a really good job of, of making sure that you get a shot of playing the drums. I don't know if you ever watched the stream, but there's some really good. And by the way, I don't know if you've noticed, he's, he's a good drummer. Man, he's not even giving me any hits or any. any. Okay. So they watch the stream. And they see this drummer. said, wow, he's a good drummer. Whoa, he's got ink. He's got cool shoes. Maybe I'll try that church. Now, drummer, when the prodigal comes home, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you that have been a part of this church for the past 42 years? And it's really comfortable for you right now. What are you going to do? When the prodigals are called home they start walking through the door. And I'm just not talking about the greeting at the front door, and I'm not talking about the greeting. I'm talking about what are we going to do to embrace him in the way that Jesus would. Thanks for letting me pick on you, Logan. He doesn't have much of a choice, does he? I mean, he's sitting right there, so I mean... <laughs> You've been listening to a message from Columbus First Assembly. We hope that you've been encouraged in your spiritual journey. If you're not part of a local church and would like to attend one of our regular services, our church is located at the corner of 10th and Iowa Street in Columbus, Indiana. Our Sunday morning worship services start at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday evening studies begin at 7 p.m. And while you're online, check out our website at columbusfirstassembly.org for details and information about our church. You will also find other messages and series that you can listen to or download. Thanks for spending some time with us and for taking advantage of this resource from Columbus First Assembly, where we strive to learn and live the word and ways of God.